0: Download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits.
1: We're going to start this series of Legends interviews with a big one. Craig Johnson is the New York Times best-selling author of the Walt Longmire Mysteries, a series of modern Western novels that follows the adventures of the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated state in the country. Craig's books have won numerous national and international awards, and they're the basis for the Longmire TV show that began on A&E and finished on Netflix. Every episode is still available on Netflix, so if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. Craig was nice enough to take time out of his crazy schedule to sit down with me at the Western Writers of America convention in Billings, Montana. We talked about some of the real-life inspirations for his characters, got into some detail about his previous books, and then he gave a great preview of his upcoming novel, Depth of Winter, which will be released in September. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Craig Johnson. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this interview. We're, we very much
2: appreciate it. My pleasure. You guys I know are, you guys are early risers. I guess <laughs> yes. you get the first crack at me. Okay, yes.
1: <laughs> I know that. I know for sure that we that some of our listeners are huge fans. As am I. That's kind. Of, that's why I was very thrilled to be able to well, to do this interview. And what I'm very grateful for you to agree to it. I appreciate. It's that. been. I loved the show and been interested in the books. And as as I just mentioned, I kind of let the cat out of the bag early that we'll talk about the audiobooks at the end mm-hmm. because I love those. As I do a lot of long road trips, so they certainly uh, give you know.
2: And whenever they first started doing the audiobooks, I remember talking with George Guidel, you know, who does the audio versions and it was funny because he um, he was getting ready, he was asking me all these questions. I said, well, a lot of people are really excited about this. And there's a long pause and he goes, why? <laughs> and I said, you don't live out west, do you? Like, and he goes, Craig, I'm lucky if I get across the Hudson River. Like, and I was like, well, for, for those of us who do live in the west, like, you know, a lot of us uh, survive simply by audio books. Like, and I mean, music is great. Like, at and I'm, I'm a big, big music fan, yeah. huge music fan. I mean, I actually listen to music while I'm writing. It's, it's that important to me. Um, but, you know, music can sometimes get a little tiring on a long trip. You know, I mean, it's yeah. oh, eight yeah. hours of music, you know, you're, you're getting a little worn out there. Yeah. But I think we're all kind of hardwired from, uh, from the get-go to have stories told to us. Yes. I and mean, our mothers, you know, kind of prepare us for that for the rest of our lives. And, uh, you know, for me, like, that, that's one of the joys, like, it is, is that I've got this incredible reader, um, George Gwedell, like who actually I got from Tony Hillerman. Um, Tony okay. Hillerman is the one that told me about him.
1: Yeah, I wanted and, to ask how this all came about. Yeah,
2: I, I happened to, uh, I, I won a, a little short story contest with Cowboys and Indians magazine that uh, won the Tony Hillerman award. Like it was one of the first things I'd written and uh, and um, and I was sitting there having dinner with Tony Hillerman, which was really kind of wonderful. And, yeah. uh, and he heard that I was like doing the negotiations, you know, for the audio books. And he said, Well, you know, see if you can get George Goidell. He does all of mine like it. And so if you can get George, right. you can get him. Like it. And so the next day I was talking to the audio people and they said, Well, we've got a couple of different readers we're thinking about. One is George Guidell and I said, Him. <laughs> and they said, You don't want to hear the others? And I said, No, not particularly. <laughs> like that. if he's good enough for Tony Hillerman, he's good enough for me. And uh, and that's how I got George. Like oh, that. man. But, but yeah, I you know, tried to explain to George like that, that, you know, yeah, we 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 out in the West, you know, when you're driving those long, long distances it's just um, it's it's inherent, you know that that you know you're, you're, you can you can drive forever. Like okay, if you have somebody telling you a good story. Oh yeah, you,
1: you know. I, I used to I used to live in Los Angeles for a long time. I worked in the film industry for my first career before uh-huh. I switched to journalism. And my sister lives in Phoenix, so I would drive from L.A. Boom. to Phoenix all the time. Just that straight. I ten stretch of desert right on the desert all, yeah all the way through desert but you throw in an audiobook and, you, and I'm there in a heartbeat I don't oh, even yeah. remember there's stretches of the drive that I don't remember at all they're just no. gone to the ether which is awesome so I certainly know that and I've driven to Denver and mm-hmm. across to Texas where I live now so all, the whole Southwest I've traveled extensively well you know it's so just, you need them
2: y- yeah I mean it's as simple as that like that I mean it's one of those things where you know I mean I, I, I very rarely do you see somebody sitting in a parking lot finishing a song yeah um, or an album like a but you know very it's not on un- Usual in the American West to see people sitting in a parking lot finishing a chapter. Yeah, you know, I've, or a scene, been there. You know, before they move on with their lives. Absolutely, okay. that, God, that's, that's, I sit there with the with my
1: iPod <laughs> in my hand, waiting for a pause so I can get just the right place. So I'm not cutting off a word, and I finished a thought or a scene. That's flattering. Okay. Absolutely, I have to I have to do it that way. Um, so yeah, I had to, I was going to bring up George Baudel at the end, but we were, we were already talking about him. So. Yeah. I'm almost 100% spoiled on the man now. So I, it's hard for me to listen to an audiobook that he hasn't he done. He is an artist. So he
2: truly, truly is an artist. He's a consummate performer like that too. I mean, he will call me up, you know, whenever we're doing one of the books and we'll sit and talk. Um, you know, for an hour or so like that, and he'll have all of his questions all lined out. You know, and a lot of his pronunciations, look at you know the right. Northern Cheyenne, sure, the Crow, sure. look at the Basque, you know, and then place names and all that type of thing. But then he also asks a lot of questions about the subtext, you know, of the characters. You know, what do they mean by this, and what are they trying to accomplish with this? And he just is a, a an astounding performer. I mean, it's no you know no 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 accident that he's won all of those right. Audis. You know, he's he's that amazing.
1: Right, absolutely. And it, it's I'm sure I'm not the only person who would say this but listen to the audiobook so often that now if I read a book, I can hear some of the, his voices. There's a couple in particular, not all of them are that way, but a couple of times like, I'll hear his version of uh-huh. Henry Standing Bear when I read it on the, oh, yeah. on the page. And it brings me to a, kind of a little um, guilty pleasure question that I have to ask because it's kind of, it ties in George Goodell. Okay. And I know you've, you've referenced certainly characters in the books are based on real people or you've taken qualities from certain people and composited them together, which mm-hmm. pretty much every writer does. So where does the character of Lonnie Littlebird come from? And where does his catchphrase, where did his catchphrase originate? Because I hear that, I crack up when George does it. I can't help it. I'm like a kid, I listen to it, I start laughing. There's nothing I can do about it, it just cracks me up.
2: You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I've stated it numerous times, is the one from Wallace Stegner on teaching and writing fiction where he says, the greatest piece of uh, fiction ever written is the disclaimer at the beginning of every book that says nobody in this book is based off anybody alive or dead. Right. Bad enough, you know, when you live in a state that only has a half a million people in it. Like, that. but then whenever you go up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation, there are only five thousand enrolled members right. of the Northern Cheyenne Tribe. Like, that. so whenever I use them in my books, everybody knows who I'm talking <laughs> right. about. Right. And um, <laughs> you Monty's, don't have to reveal him. But no, I don't. I don't. I, don't, I don't think he would mind. Like, that. it's Charles Little Old Man, like that, okay. you know, one of the tribal elders. Like, that. and he. Uh, he actually uses that phrase. Oh, like, yeah, when he thank you. Up, look at, and uh, he's just a, an incredibly insightful individual, like that, with just an amazing sense of humor. Um, and uh, it, it's just too much of an opportunity, you know, for oh. me. And uh, it, it, I'm fortunate enough, like that, that the books and the television show are very popular um, up on the res. And, uh, and I think, you know, one of the main reasons for that is because I don't treat, you know, the, the those characters as set dressing. You know, right. I treat them as, you know, living, breathing human beings. Living, yeah. You know, with the same fears and desires and, you know, passions and uh, happinesses as, you know, anybody else. Okay. But... Um, you know, you, you, it, it, it's it's kind of nice like that because it's gotten to the point now where there are a lot of people on the reservation who claim to be characters in my books that I've never <laughs> met. Like, so I, I take that as a compliment. To be Absolutely, honest. yeah. It's kind of it's filtered out now.
1: Now everyone wants to be a character, whether they are or not. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a Absolutely. I figured it had to be. It's such a specific oh, catchphrase. Yeah. I thought that's got to be based oh, yeah. on something. Oh, Either yeah. someone says that exactly, or it's an
2: an adaptation of something. Well, and it's so interesting just, that you like you honed in on that too, like that because that's one of the the, the drums I beat an awful lot. Of the time, like whenever I'm doing, you know, teaching uh, workshops or working with younger students, writing students, you know, one of the things I'm always telling them is, is you have to be very specific about the uh, the voice of your characters, like that, because that's one of the big reveals um, in who those characters are and what they are. And you know, you, one of the biggest mistakes I see with a lot of young authors is all the characters sound alike. Right. And I'm like, right. You know, you got to give them a voice. You know, yeah. Because writing a book in many ways is kind of like conducting a choral group in the sense that you know each one of those characters has a very specific voice for a very specific reason in telling the story that you want to tell and so, you know, I, I want it to be almost as if I don't have to tell you who's talking. As soon as yeah. I, you know, have them speak, you know who that is. I mean, in my books, if there's a character that doesn't use any contractions, you know who that is. Absolutely. A character that uses the phrase, mm-hmm, yes, it is so, you know who that is. If there's a character with some very colorful language, like right. you know who that character I, is, too. I think like, we can very easily identify that so, person. So, you know, for me, like, that becomes, I mean, obviously, Walt's gonna be the major voice of the books, like, that, from the beginning to end. Um, but, you know, I want all of those other voices They Kind of need to be a counterpoint, you know. They need to be able to give me other options, you know, in being able to tell that story. Right. So that's kind of important. I mean, it was interesting like that because one of the reasons why it was that uh, the book got picked up as a television show, they told me, was the character of Vic. Marani. Okay. Right. Um, they said that you know she gave a really strong <clears throat> urban voice. Um, in a very rural landscape, look at, and so you know, you, you've really got to look at that composite of all of your characters and see how you can put them all together and make them work. I mean, obviously, the one that made it work the most was obviously Walt Longmire, yeah, um, who is a, a bit of a throwback, you know, to the cowboy code and all of this, look at, but also, you know, a little bit more on the complex side, you know, I mean, the aspects of his nature, you know, that. Uh, you know, he's dealing, you know, with a much more complex world maybe so than, you know, maybe Gene Autry and Roy Rogers did, you know, and and like I always say, like, I'm, I'm still waiting for that you know, that Roy Rogers song about kicking the the Door Down on a Crack House, but I don't think we're gonna see that anytime soon, like, so. He probably didn't record that one. <laughs> we are not. We might not find that in the archives. It might not be, several years. be from a now. Hank Williams, you know, the third song, right. it sounds <laughs> like maybe, right. I don't know, like, but, right. uh, but yeah, that's the big thing, is character, you know, in place, like and it always seems to me to come back to that.
1: Absolutely, uh, and, and getting going a little bit deeper on a little more specific thing, you kind of mentioned it a second ago with Wall obviously being the future character, and I, kind of, I told you that I'd lived in Los Angeles for a long time. Oh. One of the great joys of having lived there during this time period I did was that I met two friends who are diehard USC fans mm-hmm. and so I got to go to a ton of USC football games yeah. during the Pete Carroll era when they were just dominating college football mm-hmm. so I got to see all of that craziness mm-hmm. And of course, he, lo and behold, Walt went to USC. He did, and he also is a Denver Broncos fan, he which is. I am too. Yeah. <laughs> born, uh, born and raised in Iowa, where you kind of pick your pro teams because you right. don't have any. Right. Uh, I don't know how I gravitated to the Denver Broncos, but I did. So I thought, oh my gosh! So Walt went to USC, and he's a Broncos fan. That's perfect for me. He, um, uh, so he, how did he?
2: How did you choose USC for his? You know, college? it was interesting because like whenever I was talking with the producers, like that was uh, it, it was interesting for me, like that simply because you know I, what I had was a, a, a package deal from Warner Brothers, where I actually. Right. Got Meet um, the people. It was all you know, assembled together, and I got to meet the producers and directors, the writers, and everybody. Yep. Um, whereas you know, a lot of times when your work gets optioned in Hollywood in, as an author, you really don't know who yeah. these people are, or you know if they can you know get you know you know a, an envelope made. You know it really yeah. doesn't you know it, you really don't know with right? an so. option
1: it can just it can be optioned to just sit on a <laughs> shelf somewhere yeah. and yeah. just L- collect lay dust. there
2: you know moldering in the grave you know, like John Brown like in a, in a Manila envelope like it and so. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see like that. But I remember you know one of the first you know questions that Greer Shepard, who was uh, one of our head uh, producers, asked me. She goes, "Why did Why did Walt go to USC?" And I was like, "She's read these books closely. Yeah. If she has that information, like that." And I looked at her and I go, "It was the '60s. Where would you want him to go? Lincoln, Nebraska? Like <laughs> I, you know? I mean, I just had this idea that there was Walt, you know, this this ranch kid that had grown up, you know, there in Wyoming, and uh, you know." It's the 60s. All these things are happening. I mean, you know, the society and the culture is in such a state of turmoil like that. And I thought, you know, okay, Walt would probably like to... To go to Southern California. like And so he was a pretty good ball player. Like, yeah. so, I mean, that's one of the big differences between the Walt of the books and the Walt uh, on the television show. I mean, Robert Taylor is a pretty good sized guy. He's about six foot three and weighs about 220, I think, wow. or something. But the Walt in the books is like six foot five yeah, and weighs two f- about, yeah, almost 250, 260. Wow. So he's like a refrigerator with a head, you know, yeah. basically is what it is. And a lot of people ask me, they say, well, why did you make Walt as big as he is? Like, And my immediate response to that was, you know, I, I wanted him to be durable you know um (laughs) i mean i wrote the 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 first book the cold dish is just a standalone book but i knew what i was going to do to him and so i thought okay for him to be able to survive this you know it would probably be you know Adept for him to be that large, like that, to be able to do what sure. it is that he needs to do like that. And the other thing I'd noticed was is that an awful lot of Wyoming and Montana sheriffs tend to be big guys like that. I can, I can see that. It makes the job a lot easier. Right. Right? And, you, know, you walk into a domestic disturbance where two people are ready to kill each other and suddenly you're the biggest animal in the room. Yeah. The focus changes a little. Like I can imagine. So it's, uh, it, it kind of seemed to work as far as the character was concerned. And then the other thing was is I didn't want Walt to be one of those, you know, fifth degree Dan, black belt, you know, uh, Right. maybe <laughs> Seal, you know, kind of characters. I, I the way I described him was, I said he's one of those guys that can take two fingers, slip it into the twine of a seventy-five pound bale, and throw it four layers up. You know, wow. on a trailer. Like he's, he's that kind of big, that kind of powerful, like that. And I don't think anybody in Hollywood actually understood that. But you know, yeah. what well, and, and finding a person who could who could play that character, yeah, embody and be that, that yeah. size, has
1: got to be really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: I think they did a really good job with Robert yeah, Taylor, who I think you know was. Uh, it's very emblematic of the character. I think he does a wonderful job. One of the wonderful things that he does is there's a stillness. Um, I think that Robert uses, like at which I noticed even in his audition tape, um, where you know he doesn't move around a lot, doesn't gesticulate a lot, he doesn't right. overact a lot. Right. Um, and it's interesting, like that, because you know with each episode, you know you'll have different actors coming in from different shows or you know haven't been on the show or whatever, and they're, they're they're using up all the acting, whereas you know Robert kind of saves a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. And I asked him about that. I said. You seem kind of still, you know, whenever you're doing Walt. Like, and he goes, "Walt's a hunter crap. You don't catch anything by being a hunter and moving around, and making a lot of noise."
1: Very <laughs> so, true. Great observation. Yeah. On Robert's part. Well done. And I want to go back to something you kind of mentioned a second ago, but it still ties into Walt. In the in we're talking about the detail, and you were talking about CSI, and, and uh-huh. the character came about during that era when all those shows were very popular. One of the first things I noticed from the Cold Dish and on, all the way through was a level of of detail and research you must do about certain specific things. I mean the ballistics that you talk about, you go into such detail with things like that and I I can't think of you know a whole bunch of other examples right off the top of my head but there are many Thank where you, you. you really hone in on something. So the ballistics is the one thing so I thought my god you must uh, do you, do you contact a lot of people to discuss this? Do you spend hours online? How what's the process of getting to the Oh. Do with putting all this detail in
2: there. I think you know that's one of the joys of, of what it is you know that, that a writer does is you have the opportunity to go and and use those you know most you know seductive words in the English language. Tell me a little bit about yourself you know right. or a little about this or whatever like that. And uh, there, there's no excuse anymore these days you know with the the, the resources that are available to, to all authors like that, um, to to get this stuff wrong. There really right. it's just laziness if you do and uh and then you get what you deserve like you know because somebody out there will know that information oh, and be happy to tell you yes. what you did wrong <laughs> yes they will and so you know for me you know it's, it's kind of essential but the other thing is is like i mean that's the the art of what it is that we do like that and uh you know if, if there's something that sounds off you know if we hit a wrong note you know by providing a false piece of information or, or something that's just not quite correct you know it, it's going to jar you know with the reader um, and I, I love you know giving that information. It's like the information that you can give out that maybe people don't know. Right. Um, that's always gonna be the other thing that I'm looking for. I'm always looking for historical uh, aspects of the books, like at social aspects of the books, but I'm never looking for you know what the general story is. I'm always looking for something that might be something you don't know um, about the place, about the people, right. about all of these things. The book that I've got coming out in September, um, uh, depth of winter, like that. Uh, there, there was. Do- I was doing some research, like at about you know Americans who disappeared into Mexico, okay. which is a rather telling aspect, you know, to that book. And uh, of course, one of the ones that immediately comes to mind is uh, Ambrose Bierce, okay, um, the yeah. journalist, you know, from the turn of the century, like that, who was a you know, very, you know wrote uh, uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, like in the Devil's Dictionary, a number of others. But he was a Union soldier in the Civil War, and uh, I think it was Brown's Ferry. I believe he was involved in a battle. Where the Confederate troops were going to overtake uh, the Union forces, like that. And the Teamsters cut loose their 20 mule teams, like that, and just turned the mules loose. And it was a nighttime attack. And so within the bullets and the explosions and all this kind of stuff, the mules turned and ran back in the opposite oh, no. direction and headed right into the Confederate forces. And the Confederate forces were sure that they were being attacked by heavy cavalry <laughs> and, and turned their charge like, and went back. Like, and so basically these mules won the battle, okay? And so Ambrose Bierce writes a report to Washington DC that says you know, all of these mules should be um, promoted to horse. Um, and I think that was probably the beginning of the end of his military career. Like that. But, but it's one of those little, if I had not been reading that book, if I had not been doing that research myself, I would never have found that story. Like, and of course that story you know, gets used again you know, in Depth of Winter you know, sure. with Walt. But that's um, one of the perils like, at about you know, doing your own research. You know, I don't think that you can have anyone do your research for you because number one, you're not, never quite sure what it is you're looking for. Um, if you send somebody out to do research, you're going to give them very narrow parameters on what it is that they should be looking for and finding. Well, it's the ancillary information sometimes that's much more interesting and much more telling, right. you know, about a place, like at and about a time, like at and about characters. And so I think that I'm, I'm I'm a big believer that you got to do your own research. You got to get out there and you know rattle the bushes and shake the trees. You, it
1: sounds like you certainly have. The level of detail that's put in there is fantastic. So thank my compliments. Thank you very much for, for putting that level of detail in there because I don't find that very often. I think well, it's thank great. you. You often say that these books are set in the least populated county in the least populated state in the country. Mm-hmm. So you have brought that county and that state to life now for people all over the world. What's the What's it been like to see people's reactions now that they've heard about this county, they've heard about this region, and you've kind of brought to life similar to the way I guess Stephen King did for Maine back in the, <laughs> back in the day when he created these towns and he
2: you know he said all these stories in that area. I, I don't know. I mean you know to an extent you know I mean in many ways like you know those of us in Wyoming like to refer to it as the Big Empty. Um, and the reason behind that being that there's an awful lot of people that don't know exactly where it is. You know, they just kind of look at it as a, kind of like the, the Baja country of the United States. Look at, and It's even worse. Look at. I, actually, I got to be honest with you, though. Look at. I mean, I, I've probably met a lot more people um, in in Europe. Look at who have an exact idea of uh, where Wyoming is. Like at uh, they, they seem to have a really good strong sense. Some don't, like it and then you kinda have to explain it and say it's between Colorado and Montana. Right. And then you get that kinda of blank look where they go, There's a state there? You know and I'm like, yeah, for quite some time actually. <laughs> yeah. like, and uh, but you know, yeah, the, the book's been translated into about fourteen languages. Look at um, I'm on the fourteenth one. And um, I don't know. I, I guess you know. For me, a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was going to be a response. You know, I, I look at the motivations for what I do as a writer, and a lot of times, it's in response to something. And um, the response at that point in time was everything was very CSI related right, right, right. at that point. Like whenever I was thinking about writing the books. And so you know it was amazing because it seemed like you know on these television shows and in these books they they were able to get DNA evidence you know in two minutes you know and yeah. it just struck me as maybe that wasn't quite honest You're right and so I ran into two D.C.I. investigators in Wyoming and asked them I said how long does it take you guys to get DNA evidence and uh, the one looked at me and said, well, is this a high profile case? And I said, let's pretend like it is. And he goes, about nine months. And so I thought, well, okay, well, what if you did you know, a, a protagonist who was the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated state? It would force you to deal more with character and place, mm-hmm. which is always where I think the best writing is gonna be, no matter what genre it happens to be that you're writing in. I think that um, it's always gonna be about the voice of the characters, it's always gonna be about the strength of those characters right. um, to carry the storylines. And uh, even in the most you know vacant and beautiful of places, sometimes horrible things happen, and that's kind of Walt Longmire's yeah you know, load to bear. <laughs> yeah,
1: certainly some some terrible things seem to happen in Walt's little. They least do, the county, they do, the now
2: that that's where the TV show and I kind of parted company a little right. bit, like that, because early on I came to the conclusion that. It was going to get pretty ridiculous if Walt had somebody getting killed in his yeah. county every so, month. You so know? many murders. Yeah, yeah. Least, yeah. There's, there's gonna not going to be many people. Yeah, left. murder capital, you know, USA. Like so I thought, okay, well, the other thing that happened though was I thought, okay, well, if this guy, you had this sheriff, like it, who was like breaking all of these cases, like it, and becoming more and more notable, you know, in his abilities, you know, as a uh, as a detective, I thought, you know, people would notice that, you know, and there would be other sheriffs right. in other places. You know who would you know solicit his help sure. you know, on some cases that they were working on, and so I thought, okay, well then that gives me the opportunity to kind of like move Walt's you know jurisdiction out you know, yeah. and away from Absaroka County. So right. I've had him up in Montana, I've had yep. him over in South Dakota, down in uh, further south, you know, in, in Wyoming, like all the way to Philadelphia. I would say, all the way to yeah. Philadelphia, so, where you he went to he, Temple, right? Yeah. Right. So you, yeah. you drew
1: on a little bit of that
2: personal knowledge from, Absolutely. from college Lookers. years. Absolutely. And I bounced him around a lot of different places yeah. just, you know, to give him, you know, uh, and also it's nice too look that because it gives me a varied option as far as the the environs of the book are concerned. Sure. You know, one of my favorite books to write was the little novella that I wrote uh, called The Highwayman. Yeah, um, I love that which one. Which took place, yeah. you know, in the Wind River Canyon, which is just such yeah. an incredible place. And to try and you know imagine that for a reader, to try and come up with the words that will try and give them a sense of you know what that place is really, really like. Um, that's the challenge, it's yeah. the challenge, but it's also the joy.
1: I'd heard of the Wind River area, I'd heard of the Wind River Canyon, mm-hmm. but I didn't really, I'd never seen it before, so, that novella really brought it to life. and I could picture all of these areas that you were talking about. That, oh, my gosh, it's such an Thank interesting you. geographical area. Thank you. I would love to go see it now. Cool. So, yeah, i got to go check that place do out. You're my part
2: for the Office yes, of Tourism. Yes, of you are. They should, <laughs> Hopefully, they're getting a little
1: residual siphon, a little bit of money. I'll, I'll stop by and say, by the way, I got here because cool. of, of the highwayman. Tell them. Like, uh, Yeah, it, it was a fantastic um, book. What kind of preview can you give the listeners to the next book coming out, Depth of Winter, which arrives in
2: September? Oh, let's see. Look like at I don't want to give away too of much. Like at with the with the end of Western Star, like at the last Walt book, but uh, obviously Walt is, uh, is is headed into Mexico. Like at this is a situation where um, he's going up against you know one of the most vicious you know drug cartel you know narcos like that, that there is. Look like at this this character Tomas Bedard, in a uh, conflict that's kind of been building you know for about five novels now. And um, it's a situation where this can no longer be ignored, you know, simply because you know Walt's daughter um, has been kidnapped. Look, and so Walt has to. Head into the Chihuahuan Desert like that, uh, pretty much alone like that, because wow. the as it turns out, like at the the American government, you know, is kind of hesitant because they've got to get their ducks in a row before they can, you know, have anything done in a foreign country, and of course the Mexican government is not quite sure what you know they want to do with this, you know, and so it uh, it kind of leads into a, a a desperate situation for Walt like that, and uh, it's it's probably one of the darkest, you know, and probably uh, bloodiest, you know, books that I've written like that, but uh, it's it's very hard to write a cozy. Um, about, you know, drug cartels in northern <laughs> <Yeah>. Mexico. There's <laughs> like, yeah, so. it's, it's not going to be a lot of fluffy bunnies. No, like no, there, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of I humor in the, in the books. Like, I mean, it's, it's surprising. I guess that's you know, maybe a defense mechanism that works not only in real life, but also when you're confronting those situations as an author like that. But uh, there's this one guy that comes to pick Walt up, like in, uh, in Juarez, like, and he's driving a, a 1959 Cadillac convertible that's bright pink. And uh, when he pulls up to the uh, the curb, there he asks you know, Walt some questions. Like Walt asks him some questions, and he says, "Well, you you ask a lot of questions. You got any more questions?" And Walt's answer is, "Yeah. How much Mary Kay did you have to sell to get this thing anyway?" <laughs> so uh, there, there's there's it's still humor like. no matter yeah, what. I love it, so. <laughs> love it.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's I can't wait now that I, I hadn't heard the the trek down to Mexico to find yep. that elusive character who's yep. been, who, whose name pops up every now and then, yep. but we haven't really seen him since obviously he disappeared in one of the previous novels after yep. the attack on Vic. And So yeah, it, it'll be very interesting. Now I'm, I'm even more intrigued to see how this is gonna go. Were there any Old West figures or events that shaped the creation of the Longmire world or the character of Walt? Hmm.
2: Historically, is that what you're yeah, asking? Yeah, you like any or,
1: or, yeah, historic events, characters you read about where you thought, eh, if, maybe he has a little wider in him or something like that. Is not, there anything? Not
2: really. <laughs> I have to be honest and, and, and admit that, you know, not really. I mean, other than, you know, the stereotypical aspects of like, you know, talk low, talk slow, don't say too much, you know. And that was interesting because, you know, as I, I, I mentioned you know, Greer Shepard before, one of the first things she'd asked me was, you know, whenever um, we were developing the television show, she said, well, you know, do you think of Walt as a verbose kind of character, a very talkative kind of character? And I said, Well, yeah, I do. You know, the books are written in first person, so you know, it's you're inside Walt, you know, Walt's head, yeah. you know, for three, four hundred pages and she goes, I'm not talking about what Walt thinks, Craig. I'm talking about what Walt actually says. And I, it was a little bit of a revelation because I had to go back and look at my books, and I thought, well, damn, he thinks for like three pages, and then he says one sentence. You know, is what he does. Look <laughs> like, at, and so you know, in that way, yeah, you know, there, there are a lot of the stereotypes, you know, and maybe not the cliches, like but there are some certain aspects and character traits I think that you know that Walt carries, you know, from that, you know, that lone individual who's you know a, a vertical figure, you know, on a horizontal landscape. Um, that was always the way that I looked at him, like that he was in opposition. Um, you know, but still a part of that landscape that he's such a part of and, and, and you know, comes from. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the majority of the information for Walt look at, that was um, garnered actually came more from uh, ride-alongs, like with sheriffs, you know, here in Montana and down in Wyoming. Okay. Um, and just, you know, seeing how they did what they did, you know, and uh, in the modern era, you know, right. to, to see, you know, like, you know, how it... Uh, how it developed them and how they dealt with a lot of these you know, very complex situations like that, but in uh, you know, all of them in very different ways like that, but uh, that, that probably more than anything else.
0: Yeah,
1: and I, I guess I, I was thinking about that because he, it, it feels, he does feel like that quintessential character that you could pluck out of the 21st century and drop into the 1860s or oh, 70s. Yeah. And he would fit just perfectly oh, yeah. in Dodge City or oh, Tombstone yeah. or Deadwood or any of those places. Oh, he would. So he's got the he's got the same kind of feel to him as what we think some of those famous lawmen of the old days would have had.
2: You would. Yeah, that's what you hope is what you do. Look like yeah. at. Uh, I guess the way I describe Walt is, is that if you know, if, if my truck slides off the road on I eighty, um, on a January night, you know, and uh, I'm sitting there, you know, in four feet of snow, trying to get my truck dug out, like at the, the the set of headlights that pulls up behind me there. The guy I want in that truck is Walt Longmire. That's the guy I want. Okay. And that's, that's kind of the way I ride it.
1: Thanks for listening. Now, as always, if you like the show, please give it a rating and a review on iTunes. Those things help make the show more visible to new listeners as they're browsing through all the different podcasts out there. You can find us on the web at OldWestpodcast.com and on our Facebook page Legends of the Old West Podcast. The handles for Twitter and Instagram are at Old West Podcast.